Thanks for joining the Red Sky Fuel for Thought podcast. This is episode five, and I'm your host, Nancy Anderson. As we come to a close of a most unprecedented year, many of us are at a loss for words for how exactly to describe the year we've all had. But for those of us in the communication space, loss for words is rarely an issue. So what is the one word that describes how communications have been shaped in 2020? In this episode, we ask colleagues across the globe the question to find the word of the year. Richard Clark, Executive Director from Red Havas UK, talks with Dino Delich, Director of Enterprise Analytics and Insights at Meltwater, a leading media monitoring and social listening platform. We'll share the results from our word of the year survey, and then on the heels of our white paper on purpose-led communications, we talk through how brands can be more purposeful in 2021. We close the segment as always with the red questionnaire, where we ask the same questions to different guests to understand what inspires them, what makes them tick. This month, Georgina Thompson interviews Bukola Gary, the diversity and inclusion manager at Havas. But first up, let's welcome Richard Clark to get our conversation going. Hey, Richard, we have a really great show to close out the year. Can you tell us a bit about it before we start? Hey, Nancy. We do indeed have a great show. And as it's our last episode of the year, it's a bit of a bumper special. So Dina and I look at the statistics behind our word of the year. And in addition to that, I asked Dina what his own word of the year is, as well as what it might be for many brands if they could talk. So no spoilers, but I think we were surprised at what words were shared as much as the words that weren't shared. Yes, exactly. Then, and excitingly, we reveal a new purpose index that brands can use as part of their comms planning in 2021 and beyond. I love it. Okay, let's dive in. Against the backdrop of the global coronavirus pandemic, the events of this year have brought new challenges no one was prepared for, changing the way we live and how we connect with each other. From the economic effects and catastrophic loss of life brought on by COVID-19, to new effects on the climate change crisis, the transformative moments in the Black Lives Matter protests and a highly contentious US election, 2020 was as sobering as it was defining. To get a read on what this year has been like for comms professionals, we asked our esteemed colleagues around the world if there is one word to describe how communications has been shaped in 2020, what would it be? How did they answer? Well, pivot and unprecedented were the dominating words followed by virtual and digital. No doubt a reflection of the revolution in working habits many of us have had to quickly adopt this year. Interestingly, there was no mention of pandemic and certain words have clearly taken on new meaning this year, like mute. Who would have thought we would be saying you're on mute multiple times a day? Like Zoom, which went from video conferencing to a verb. And like woke, which took on a new meaning in the aftermath of George Floyd's murder and Black Lives Matter. To quote the Oxford Dictionary's president, it's both unprecedented and a little ironic. In a year that left us speechless, 2020 has been filled with new words unlike any other. With me now is Dino Delich, Director of Enterprise Analytics and Insights for Meltwater. Welcome, Dino. What a year 2020 has been. Yeah, 
It's been quite a year, as we've probably said a million times. Uh, but thank you for, for the opportunity. I'm very excited to be talking with you today. It's great to have you. Um, so, Dino, part of um, the the work uh, that you do at Meltorder is, is about helping companies make better, more informed decisions based on insights from external data. So I was just sort of talking about um, the, the Red Habas Word of the Year survey. So we're just sort of keen to know from you sort of how that how the findings from that survey chime with the work uh, that, that you, you do at Meltwater? Yeah, it was a very interesting exercise. Um, alongside the news and social data that, that we typically work with, we often do get our other outside data sets. So it was fun to sort of dive in and see what your colleagues think of uh, 2020 themselves. Um, and as you mentioned in the intro, for me, the, the most interesting thing was the, when we looked at all the words and we put them into different buckets, the biggest bucket was the negative batch of keywords. Yeah. I think it was about 30% or so. And then the what we like to do is sort of see if we can separate out the data to see what different groups of people are telling us as is important in news and social. So the biggest uh, demographic range that was most represented in, in your survey was the uh, 25 to 34 bracket. Yeah. Obviously, uh, you have a young workforce there, but that um, segment of the responders, they were the least negative. So everybody else was perhaps maybe a little bit more mature, had been through things before, and maybe a little bit more frustrated. It's nice to see that uh, the 25 to 34-year-olds, which I'm just outside of that range, unfortunately, <laughs> they're the, the more optimistic bunch. Yeah. And they tended to use words like uh, change and digital. So th there's hope for us in 2021, there's, I would say. There is hope. There is hope. Yeah. And um, and you mentioned sort of change and digital there. I'm sort of really interested to hear from you as to what what your word um, of your own word of the year is and why? Well, I um, I guess because I'm not in the 25 to 34 bracket, I'm not <laughs> obligated to, to use an optimistic word. I'm the same, uh, by the way. Great. <laughs> okay, so we're in the same boat. <laughs> so for me, I, I've always been interested in, um, I guess the word that, that would describe it is backlash. And it's a negative word, so I don't I don't love it for that sense because I, I do think of myself as a little bit more hopeful and optimistic about 2021. Maybe that's just because the, the news recently is that there is a vaccine or vaccines on the horizon. But backlash to me, of course, there's been political backlashes about governments not doing the right thing with COVID or doing things too strongly or not enforcing things. And so there's been political backlashes all the time. But I looked at with my team that the word backlash showed up I think it was 15% more this year in headlines than last year. That was interesting to us, but it was the nature of those. It was this, when a, a company or a corporation or a brand was involved in a backlash and not a political figure, it was usually because they were trying to do something that they felt like was the right thing to do. And so that's why it's interesting for me. You look at all of the backlashes against Starbucks and American Airlines and Netflix, you know, this cancel culture, is attacking those companies that are trying to do the things that cancel culture is sort of calling for yeah. in a positive way. So that, that sort of ties in with, with what we do here is helping companies navigate through those challenges. And, and avoid a backlash, hopefully. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, okay, so that's this leads on nicely to my next question around just then from a, because we've talked about the Red Havas kind of colleagues, what their word of the year is. I've asked you about what your one is. What about, um, you mentioned a couple of brands there, but from a brand perspective, you know, what might be 
what might be their word of the year um, for that could sort of summarise it for lots of different brands based on what sort of how 2020s played out? Oh, that's a good one. <laughs> so the the word of the year, if brands could talk, if brands could talk, then they would. Answer. Okay, <laughs> all right. This is an interesting psychological exercise. Um, you know, I I hate to w- use the word such a generic word but it's it's more challenging than ever it is and especially in america where you've got you know the the political climate and then the pressure on business this woke movement which which we've talked about previously there is there is so much pressure on companies to do the right thing and the right thing is so subjective depending on who you're so i think yeah, I, I just say it's uh, uh, simply put, it's challenging. It's probably a boring word, but it's not a it's not a boring concept. I think it's it's so tough for companies, and so the clients that we work with, they have continually come to us to help and uh, navigate this. And the the sort of challenging questions they've asked us, and what we've seen that, that our clients and our contacts at, at the brands that we work with are nervous, is when there is this explosion of information. And they, they struggle to navigate through it. And the brands that have done well in, in, in the, the uh, work that we've collaborated on with uh, Red, uh, Red Havas in the, in the past, um, you know, people that have sort of navigated through a crisis successfully, I think what helps address that challenge is a bunch of things. First and foremost, I would say authenticity. If they're doing it just to address a challenge or if they're doing it to avoid a backlash or if they're doing it just because they think that that's what people want, um, that's when they've typically gotten themselves into trouble. It's the brands where the, the people at the top stand up for what they believe in. And it doesn't always work out that well, but I think when they do that, then their loyal fans back them up a little bit. So it's challenging for brands. That's what I would yeah, say. It is. So, uh, Dina, you were just talking about sort of authenticity and, you know, and sort of, if brands could speak challenging would be uh, would, would, would be a good word to sort of summarize it from, from a, a brand's perspective but that's actually a really good segue into the next bit of our discussion which is you know this year has really shown um, that for 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 many brands silence is definitely not golden you know it's really it provided them with a platform and actually a real captive audience be that from a media perspective or indeed from a consumer perspective to really kind of prove their purpose um, so we've been working together um, over the last few weeks on the creation of a purpose index. Um, so I was just wondering if you could uh, just talk to us a little bit more about what we sort of set out to achieve with that index. Yeah, so um, in an effort to try to help customers navigate through this tricky concept of injecting purpose into a brand, uh, we, we tried to take what is squishy or qualitative and and make it quantifiable and and measure the things that are typically subjective. And we found like other times where we've developed metrics like this, it's entirely possible to do so. Um, Definitely uh, more difficult, but I think it's ever more important these days because again, as as I mentioned, it's the brands that didn't do the research up front that just sort of dived into, uh, a topic and felt like that was the right thing to do, uh, they still faced a little bit of a, a headwind. So the, the purpose of the purpose index is to 
not to provide a number because as we know people love to chase numbers it's not to provide a number that you would need to hit uh, like a reputation score or something like that. It's to identify the traits and the messages that are coming through in your owned messaging and that are being received by publications through the earned messaging or the earned coverage that a company might get. So we, we mimic the purpose index very closely to the meaningful brands study that you've done at Red Havas, which is fantastic. And I think what, what what's interesting there is you look at the three different buckets, functional benefits, personal uh, benefit, and collective benefit. And with those buckets, it was very interesting to see how that applies to brand communications. The yeah. Meaningful Brand study was formed on surveys. Yeah. And you know, survey data is great, but it takes a long time to collect. Yeah. And, and uh, so the Purpose Index is, is gives companies an opportunity in real time to see news and social media conversations that reflect the the penetration of their messages and the reception, and the reception. of their messages. It's a, and you guys that row tested this this purpose index as well as part of the sort of um, the kind of planning and preparation for this chat too. So mm-hmm. um, and that was also on a couple of a couple of well known brands that have been uh, talked about quite a bit this year for for various reasons. So what did you sort of uh, what did that row test uncover? Yeah, the the road test was very much a uh, a dive into the deep end for us. We thought, well, what are some of the companies that are facing the most scrutiny and that have the most purpose-heavy messaging? Well, we thought, let's look at um, some tech companies. And as you know, you know, a, a, an election year has brought a lot of scrutiny, and th- th- it's sort of uh, been a long time coming i think the, the privacy the regulation the monopolization of their uh, businesses and those sorts of things so we looked at facebook microsoft and google and the reason why we picked them was because of the added scrutiny but because they've also made a significant push in this area and because we thought well during the times of their congressional hearings it would be very interesting to see what this data tells us if we looked at a specific time frame which was the last week in July, to see how their communications teams were sort of counteracting the the attention that they were getting on the on the hill and through the media. So, how do you think then comms professionals can actually incorporate? Um, so, if you know if you've got people thinking about you know how could they incorporate this purpose index into mm. their comms planning? What sort of what would your advice be? It's a very important aspect of the the research phase. And then it's also very important to utilize it to track, again, the penetration and the reception of your messages. And the thing with the purpose index that, as I mentioned, it's different to other uh, metrics that we've developed where there is no perfect score. It's not like it's a scale of zero to 100. Um, What it does, it's kind of like creating, to, to use an analogy, like a fitness plan, you know? You don't just go into the gym and do the same thing that everybody else is doing. Everybody's a little bit different and every brand is a little bit different. So if you look at Facebook, Microsoft and Google, they have uh, a similar portfolio of products, but they also have their unique traits. And they also have their unique leaders. They also have their unique brands and reputations. And so what the Reputation Index does and what comms professionals uh, would certainly benefit from is using it as sort of like a DNA analysis of what you're coming to the table with before you implement a purpose-related you know, messaging yeah. strategy. And then, of course, it's very helpful uh, on the back end. Richard, Dino, thank you so much. But now it's time for our red questionnaire. 
Let's welcome my colleague and co-host Georgina Thompson, Senior Director from Red Havas UK, who interviews Bukola Gary, the Diversity and Inclusion Manager at Havas. Thank you, Nancy. I have the pleasure of interviewing Bukola Gary for our Red Questionnaire this month. Bukola is the Diversity and Inclusion Manager at Havas, where she says she has the opportunity to learn, inform and encourage dialogue around bias, identity and representation across the world. She's a board advisor, a podcast host, and also a brilliant panel speaker. Welcome, Vakola. Thank you very much for agreeing to chat with us today. Thank you so much for inviting me. This is amazing. <laughs> no worries. Um, so we have, as always, some questions to run through. Um, so should I kick off with the first question? Yeah, please do. Go for it. So, Vakola, what was your first job? Okay, so I've always worked in food. So my first job was for a Caribbean food caterer. Um, and at first I was serving food, but then I started working alongside the chef. Um, and this was the start of my very, very present love of cooking and food. Perfect. That sounds awesome. I bet you um I bet you can create some amazing dishes then at home. Yeah, it's been lockdown was actually a good little time for me to get back into cooking because I'd, I'd kind of <laughs> Time was so busy that I hadn't been cooking as much. And then I kind of completely got back in my cooking bag over the lockdown period. So it's been really cool. That's awesome. So the second question we have is, are you an early riser or do you burn the midnight oil? Oh, I'm a complete night owl. So yeah, midnight oil for me. I come alive around 6pm and kind of work through the night. I guess it's a bit of a habit I picked up while at uni. But yeah, absolutely. I'm a night owl. And what, what do you do? You watch lots of Netflix or read or what are you doing in that time? See, I would love to sit here and say, oh yeah, I'm reading all these incredible books, but <laughs> I'm probably- Netflix for sure. <laughs> yeah, I'm probably watching Netflix. And actually a bit of a kind of, not a secret, but a bit of a kind of thing that is a bit a bit random about me is that I absolutely love Korean dramas, like absolutely love them. And so I've been kind of getting into my Korean drama bag recently. So often it's usually watching um, Korean dramas, but actually I really enjoy um, a lot of kind of um, foreign film programs or programs with subtitles. I actually really enjoy learning language and watching programs in different languages. So that's kind of my bag at the moment. Okay, so how many stamps do you have in your passport? Oh, quite a few. I'm lucky enough to have traveled to five of the seven continents. Um, I don't even know if that's a big thing, but I, for me it is, and um, to 20 countries. So, and some of those places multiple times. Um, so yeah, so quite a few a few stamps in my in my passport there. Wow. And what would what would you say are your favorite um, places to visit or the most obscure? Oh. Well, my favourite city break has to be New York, which again, sounds really cliche, but it is just the fact that it is. I think, I don't know if it's speaking to my kind of, I don't know, teenage self that kind of sadly watched far too many episodes of Sex and the City, um, but kind of got a bit obsessed with it. But yeah, so city break, New York. My favourite beach break, I'd have to say is Antigua. Um, that was just, going there was absolutely incredible. It's just, it, it just felt like this is what the earth looks like when it's completely untouched. It was just really, really stunning. And, um, but the probably the most obscure place I've been to is, um, and I say obscure, but just most random is that, so I did some volunteer work for like three months in Bolivia in South America, and I got to visit the salt flats and that was absolutely incredible. And it was one of those moments where you're like, how am I here? Like, how did I, how, how did I manage to get here? But it was absolutely incredible. So yeah, those are probably my top three. And Bacola, what is your favorite uh well we have here what is your favorite social media to follow so obviously um you know if you have your favorite platforms but then also anyone that you're following that we should also be, be following 
Okay, cool. So again, I, I go against the grain with quite a few things I'm realizing now. That's I'm good. Slightly, <laughs> I'm slightly anti-social media, if I'm honest with you. Like I only have Twitter, so I, I don't have Instagram or I guess TikTok or um, Snapchat. Snapchat, is that even a thing anymore? See, I feel so old right now. But yeah, <laughs> I um, but Twitter's kind of my main source um, just for social commentary and kind of keep myself involved. But however, I do follow um, um, someone called um, Alyssa Rochelle. She's actually a friend as well, which is which kind of doubles up. But she's the podcast host of the vulnerability podcast and she also has a series called 100 ways to heal and um why i recommend her is it she really does speak well to me anyway she speaks so to so much of my lived experience so we have really similar backgrounds and she just reminds me that vulnerability is an absolute superpower and she just really helped me to see that and so in doing the work that i do in diversity inclusion where there's often a lot of absorption of, of trauma and emotion for my, minoritized and marginalized communities that you know just having a having a space to really kind of connect and reflect is, is really important so um, yeah her, her her kind of page has been a really really great source for that and Pakola, the headline grabbing your attention at the moment so if we read up on anything what would she, what should we be reading and why okay so I thought about this and the thing that kind of has been grabbing my attention the most recently in the UK it's the Sainsbury's Christmas ad and um, so it's essentially, it's a Christmas ad and it features a, a black family. And, and it's just, it's just a really great, beautiful story about how we, about Christmas. There is no kind of, there's really nothing more to it. It's as simple as it's celebrating, I think the story of gravy and kind of a dad's gravy and how, you know how like for different festive periods of time or different holiday periods, we all have our, our go-to recipes or things like that. And this just celebrates kind of gravy. And, but the backlash to that ad has been absolutely ridiculous. Like the amount of kind of visceral racism that's been kind of thrown at it, the, the kind of feedback that Sainsbury's have got about it. And it just, it's just a reminder that there is still a lot more work to be done. And um, there's a great quote that says, when you're accustomed to privilege, equality feels like oppression. And I just think that the temptation with uncomfortable conversations or topics is to try and push past them. Like we try and flick a switch or move on to something, you know, but in the reality, there are people that are constantly being re-traumatized and made to feel less than. And this is in, you know, this is in 2020 and we've seen what a tumultuous year it's been with kind of the kind of key moments, one of them being Black Lives Matter. And I just think that the reality of racism is, is just that, it's a reality. And until we're all triggered by it, I think real, real change is still so far away. And it remains for the people who have the lived experience to do the work. And so that's why that particular story has stood out to me, because again, this is something that we should all be able to connect on, how we celebrate our different kind of um, holiday periods as family. Well, I think, I think if I'm honest with you, I think that while, um, you know, we've, you know, time has moved on since, um, since, and since May, um, and the death of George Floyd, but I still think that that whole movement with Black Lives Matter and and re again recently, more recently, the U.S. elections and just there's so many conversations about a thing where inclusivity and 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 you know there's so many and we had World AIDS Day recently and I think there's so many there's recently more moments and moments in time when we're we're having to check into our humanity and I think there's there's been so many opportunities for us to really do some self reflection to ask ourselves you know. How do I be more of an ally? How do I be more of a supporter for, and how do I kind of recognize and validate and learn about experiences that are different from my own? So I just think that, you know, 2020, as I've said before, it's been a year of kind of like so much, so much um, unrest, but I think in there's, it also has presented an opportunity to reflect and to really kind of learn and change how we move forward. And so I think that while there's not another particular headline I can think of, I just think the key moments that have kind of been surrounded um, of recent has again given me reason to take stock and say, actually, 
How am I going to do more work to be more empathetic, more compassionate as I go into 2021? How can I make sure that I am doing more and more to be a friend, to listen, to be open, to be challenged, to be corrected? Because um, I think, you know, when we get onto terms of like the point, my last point about kind of a message of encouragement and I'm not to, not to move forward, but there's, there's a saying that I have that I won't spoil it now, but there is a saying that I have that reminds me to kind of always be checking in with myself about that. So I think that for me, yeah, the, the this this year in itself has been a headline. If I'm honest with you, I think 2020 will be will go down in the history books. But um, but yeah, I think it's it's been a really opportunity, great opportunity for us all to self reflect. Fabricola, cliches are cliches for a reason. What is your favourite? <laughs> I'm not gonna. I do love a good cliche. Um, but for me, it has to be when life gives you lemons, make lemonade. Um, namely because I love lemonade, but also um, I like to think of myself as a bit of an optimist and I just really try to look for the opportunity in every situation. So that has to be my go-to one. And what is your message of encouragement and enlightenment? I know you touched on this before, so I'm really looking forward to uh, to hearing what you have to say. Okay, cool. So for me, I have to go back to the thing that um, has it, it, it stays in me every day. It's almost become like a daily mantra, but it's it's just really to always be teachable. Just three simple words, always be teachable. And um, this is something that my parents told me a lot while growing up. And it's something that's kept me curious and open. And it's also really humbled by how much I still don't know. But um, it also allows me to find value in the connections I make with people. And that is something that is really, really important principle in, in, in how I live my life in terms of the opportunity for connection. Because I think, you know, that's, that is richness to me. That is where I find my richness. It's, it's, the, it's, it's the relationships and the people that I have around me. And so, yeah, for me, always be teachable kind of is my, is, is continues to encourage me, continues to enlighten me in terms of how I live. But yeah, it would be the thing that I would um, um, want to say to everybody. Thank you for listening to the Red Sky Fuel for Thought podcast. We hope you'll join us again for the latest insights and trends from the team at Red Havas. Don't forget to subscribe to the show using your favorite podcasting app. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and more. Also remember to rate and review today's show and let us know how we're doing.